And what the Lord was showing me was that my life strategy was coming out of hurt. And even though I was standing up for what was right, perhaps, I wasn't doing it in his way. And that was why I didn't have the fruit of the Spirit present then. And so it was amazing to me because I asked the Lord, what was my big issue? And he was very glad and very quick to point out, (laughs) this is exactly where it came from. And you're still under the struggle, even though it's been decades later. Welcome to Unquenchable where we discuss all things biblical theology, listening prayer, and Christian living. Each week, we will share a discussion, an interview, or a story that will feed your spiritual curiosity, helping you to better understand the Bible and receive inner healing so you can grow in intimacy with Christ through prayer. Welcome to Unquenchable. I'm Chris Darius. And I'm Don Love. Last episode, Jen shared a bit of her story concerning her journey into learning how to listen in prayer. She said she started leaning in more to what God promises in terms of communicating with us, and her dreams started coming true, and then she began to get healing through these conversations with God. This week, it'd be great to hear more from you, Don, to hear what was going on in your life during this time. Well, at that time, Jen and I had two young boys, and we had been married for about 11 years, and I was in the middle of a PhD program studying the Gospel of John and biblical theology, and As a college professor, I was fortunate enough to teach New Testament survey every day to the freshmen and sophomores and biblical theology and the Gospel of John to the juniors and seniors and those in the seminary. So being an academic, what did you think when your wife told you what was going on in her prayer group? Well, she didn't tell me at first. I could tell that some big things were happening in her life, but she was just seemed very hesitant to share them with me. So I suppose that her hesitancy was somewhat justified because um, I wasn't very excited about her joining the prayer team in her church to begin with. Why not? Well, um, in my experience, uh, as I was growing up, prayer meetings generally were just a group of people praying through a list of mainly old and sick people. And not that I have anything as old and sick people, but it just seemed as though it was really hard to see if their prayers were having any effect. And as a kid, the prayer meetings really just felt dead and boring to me. But you're obviously all about prayer now. So how did it go from that view of prayer as a dead and uninteresting thing to founding Pray Through It prayer ministry with Jen? Well, a lot of things happened. I was fascinated with the idea that Jen was having all these precognitive dreams and I, would have, uh, I wouldn't have used the word prophetic, and, and still I kind of avoid saying prophetic dreams, but I could tell that what was happening in her life was very meaningful to her. So after much prodding, she would give me a chapter here and there out of a book that she was reading, and, and I would check it out. Okay, well, what do you think about those tidbits then? Well, mainly I thought that these things that they were saying could be biblical, but it just wasn't from the verses that they were using. A lot of the books had uh, good ideas and good practices, but it seemed like they were really proof texting the verses. I mean, taking these verses out of their original context so that they could fit their purposes. So I didn't like that. And if you had something powerful and genuinely biblical, it seems like you should be able to support it using Scripture in its original context. Yeah, yeah. But was there one chapter or book that impacted you the most then? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rusty Rustenbach's A Guide for Listening and Inner Healing Prayer, I would say, was probably the biggest, most impactful one that we read. Why did that one stand out for you? Well, Rusty works with the Navigators, and that's an organization with a reputation of a very high view of Scripture. So when he wrote the book, he knew that he needed to, to do his best to cite Scripture responsibly. And that really won me over as I was going through. There was just cumulative arguments from Scripture that really kind of um, I don't know, wore me down to some degree as I started trying to figure out what was going on. 
Yeah, my my parents were actually part of a navigator group in college, so mm-hmm. I can see why that would be good off the bat yeah. that he was with them. But what did you learn from that book then? Yeah, well, there are several key things. You know, keep in mind I was studying through the Gospel of John here at this at this point, and so especially as I got onto those passages about the role of the Holy Spirit, I I was just really in, impacted and impressed by that. And secondly, it helped me to function, uh, understand the function of different kinds of lies and sin and how they affect the way that we live. And third, it helped me to give categories of different ways that God could speak to us and how we could learn to listen for them. That is a lot of things. Each one of those is a whole conversation in and of itself. But let's start with the role of the Holy Spirit. How did this book clarify that for you? Yeah, so um, as he was going through, it wasn't so much that he was trying to unpack theologically what the Holy Spirit was, but more and more as I was starting to read what he was doing, it really started to sound like that the Holy Spirit is like your counselor. And part of the reason why I thought thought of it this way was there was a friend of mine who recently had said that what a counselor does is he helps you process life. And that realization, that understanding of what a counselor does— along with this book, helped me to understand. It's almost like that's what he's doing. Like the Holy Spirit's like this counselor that helps you process life. And it was interesting because I slowed down a little bit and I found myself asking the question, is that even biblical to think that? But then I thought about it and I realized, wait a minute, that's that's really biblical. I mean, Jesus comes around and says, you know, he's going to be this mighty counselor, this one who comes alongside of you and helps you process life. And so that really helped me to get this idea that it's... It, Point by point, issue by issue, thought by thought, feeling by feeling, the Holy Spirit is there to help you process each part of life. And so that interaction with that book helped me to understand more of what Jesus might have meant about the role of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I remember you teaching me about those in some of my classes that I had with you, notably Gospel of John, and how impactful that was for me. I grew up in the church, and I taught Sunday school when I was in high school, so I was familiar with those words, but they really made a lot more sense when you outlined how the Holy Spirit does genuinely fill those roles. Let's talk about different kinds of lies and sin, though. Yeah, that, that is a big topic. That's something that we're going to go into a lot of detail in the future podcasts, and ever since reading that book, I've been thinking about this and going further and further in this. And so, but to give you a couple examples, um, some examples of the categories would be things like curses and pronouncements, unbiblical vows. And to give you a, a these are categories I hadn't even thought about because I, I would think curses would be witchcraft or something. But mm-hmm. think about it more along the lines of if someone says something to you, you're always going to be a failure. You know, that's a, a, sort of a curse or a pronouncement over you, especially if it's somebody who is in authority over you or something, that, someone that you look up to. And you could be cursing yourself. You know, I hate my body. You, there could be things that you're saying over yourself that's really disempowering you and, and spiritually knocking you off track. And it's not just that it was said and it had some power in the past. It's something that now sticks with you. And, and in the back of your mind, it still just festers there. Um, and unbiblical vows would be an example of you might have something bad happen to you and you might say, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to be like my mother. I'm never going to be like my father. And you kind of vow in some way that goes too far. That mm. We say unbiblical because it's going against what Scripture would want. Because certainly certain things about your parents, you might say, if I'm never going to be like your mother, well, there might be good things that you're throwing out away with that as well. Mm. So, you know, there's any number of ways that different categories of sin that could be considered here. Yeah, and sin. I mean, we hear how sin is bad and how it's not the proper way to live, but you you said that there's a function. What function does it serve? Right. 
Yeah. So the function of send can vary from person to person. And this too is something that we're going to delve into future episodes, but it comes down to people doing things they shouldn't. Um, but in them doing those things, it gives them a sense of control over something which they crave. So let me illustrate this. So um, here's a couple examples. So for example, we might have um, worry um, is our attempt to do something when not, we have nothing else that we can do. So we feel like at least we can do is worry about it. Um, anger is our attempt to write something that's wrong. We see something that's wrong, so it angers us, and so it kind of compels us forward to do something. And then fear would be an example of our attempt to protect ourselves and others um, by this, this fe- feeling of fear. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen those come up time and time again in our prayer sessions. Yeah. For sure. So sin's our attempt to solve things um, that are in our own power apart from God. So it's like a quick fix that in the end causes as much damage as it attempts to repair very often. Yeah, true. Well, we'll definitely get more into that in later episodes, but I think all of our listeners can certainly identify a few areas where they did something sinful as a quick fix that turned out to cause a lot more trouble. But the final thing that you learned from the book was the different ways that God speaks to us today. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So we all have had different times where it seems like God sneaks up on us. Um, and so there are, even though some of us are going to say that God only speaks through his word, um, we're often going to be open to the idea that God could call us into a ministry, um, wake us up at night to pray for someone, convict us of sin, or tell us to witness to someone. Um, so in the, And even when times we're not reading the Bible, we're open to the idea that God could speak to us in this way. So I was open to the idea of God speaking to us, and as my wife started telling me about her dreams, that opened me up a bit more because I just I trusted her, and I trusted the things that she was saying. I didn't think she was making this stuff up, and, and she would tell me, like, oh, I dreamed about this, this thing that happened today, I dreamed about this, and, and sometimes it was amazing details, and I would be trying to figure out, is, this, is there some other way that she could have thought about this and some weird deja vu? But Scripture does say these things are going to happen in the last days. So um, what was a bit new to me was the idea that God could speak to us through thoughts or images or emotions. That was different. How was that different? Well, before, I would have thought that if I was trying to pray and something came to my mind, that it was a distraction. But after reading this book, I became more aware of the possibility that the things coming to my heart and mind could actually be the Lord speaking to me. Can you give an example? Yeah, so let me talk a little bit about the first time, maybe the first time that I decided to listen in prayer intentionally in a sustained conversation. Because really, all my life I've been listening in prayer and not even realizing it, but learning that you can have a sustained conversation in prayer brings some credibility and reliability here because it's so much easier to know that this is the Lord whenever you're having, like I said, a sustained conversation about this. So back then, one of the things that I could tell you about that time too was that I was a very polarizing professor. Uh, some people really loved me. I was a very popular professor with lots of people, and, and other people really didn't like me. And so some students were comparing me to TV doctors who were both intelligent and harsh and jerky. And so that was, that was kind of where I was at that time. How did that lead you to prayer then? Well, I realized that, that there was something about that that wasn't quite like Jesus. Uh, one of the things that, that's interesting about being a professor is you get to have college reviews every year, and the students get to anonymously review you, and they will critique you in every single way. And there's even online places where they can put reviews of you online. And so I had to be faced with the reality of how everyone viewed me. 
and trying to think, is this possible that this could be a way that would be just a valid way to be a Christian? And I thought, maybe I'm just a different kind of Christian. Um, But I realized I just didn't have the fruit of the Spirit that was talked about in Scripture, and that was a problem. And I realized that we're told in Isaiah that Jesus wasn't going to break the bruised reed or extinguish the flickering flame. And I realized for me, um, there was something that was going on there that just wasn't quite the way that it was supposed to be. So what happened when you prayed? So part of, uh, part of what I was learning was I needed to get into a posture of listening. I asked God to bring my mind to rest, my heart to peace. I had to surrender my thoughts over to him, surrender my heart to him. And as I got into this posture of rest and I asked the Lord, Lord, would you show me why is it that I struggled in this way? Why is it that I'm not gentle with those people who seem to be weak? Because I was, I was the guy who was reaching out to people everywhere that other people weren't reaching out to. I was, I was witnessing. I was caring for people. But there just was this thing where if someone seemed to be as though they wouldn't stand up for what was right, I thought there was a problem with that. And, I, and, I, and there was a sense in which I kind of despised the, those people. And so as I prayed, um, an image of my grandparents' house came to me. And in the past, I would have just dis- just disregarded it, thrown it out. And so as I thought about it, though, I just got the sense that I should walk through the house. And so in my mind, I just walked through the house and saw what was there. And I started to feel what it felt like as a child. And then suddenly I was transported back to um, an, an event that happened in my elementary school. And as I was praying and asking, well, what's this about? There was this memory of this teacher who uh, he had a game that he was playing, and I remembered I didn't think it was fair. And I, I questioned him, and he said, well, whoever said life was fair? And at that point, I just thought, this is so wrong. You're the teacher, and life might not be fair, but you can make your classroom fair. And I was being bullied that year, and there were all these things that were going on, and the teacher didn't seem to understand what was going on. And so I realized, I asked the Lord about this, and I realized what had happened was I had made an unbiblical vow at that point that life might not be fair, but I was going to do everything in my power to make it fair because I realized that my, uh, the adults around me and my authorities weren't necessarily going to do it, so I needed to do it. So I took that upon myself. And as I prayed about it, what the Lord showed me was that that unbiblical vow and all of my efforts what I was doing in the midst of that time was I was taking on the anger, I was taking on some of the, the demeanor of that teacher, and I was using that then as part of my bad life strategy to try to make life right. And what the Lord showed me in that moment was I felt like everybody else who wasn't standing up for what was right, in some ways, they were making things worse because they weren't standing up for what was right when they should. And what the Lord was showing me was that my life strategy was coming out of hurt, And even though I was standing up for what was right, perhaps, I wasn't doing it in his way. And that was why I didn't have the fruit of the Spirit present then. And he was showing me that I had no right to judge those other people because they were taking an approach that at least didn't hurt other people. And Mm -hmm. in my approach, I was actually hurting other people sometimes by trying to stand up for what was right in a forceful, harsh way. And so it was amazing to me because... I asked the Lord, what was my big issue? And he was very glad and very quick to point out, this is exactly where it came from, and you're still under the struggle, even though it's been decades later. Wow. So that was just the first prayer session? Yep. It was just the beginning. So we'll get into more sessions that Jen and I and you have uh, had so we can get some examples of what God does. But this is where my prayer journey really started to take off. Well, I'm looking forward to diving deeper into prayer with you and everyone listening. Me too. 
Unquenchable is a ministry of Pray Through It Ministries. To learn more about us and our ministry, check us out at praythroughit.com.